Welcome to episode 113 of the Daniel Yoris Podcast with today's guest, Leo Alves. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Leo Alves. Leo, thanks for joining me, man. Been a long time coming, but happy to chat today. Thank you very much. I'm actually very excited to come on. I know this has been overdue for a while. Uh, you did come on my podcast. I think it was back in October. That's a rough guess. Uh, yeah, more or less around that time. And yeah, we've been planning me to come into yours for a good while now. So it's uh, nice to finally be on. It, October seems like so long ago. Today, like we're recording, this is April 13th. Like October seems so long ago, but it actually feels like not that long ago since since we did that podcast. It's so crazy how time passes, but here we are and, and that's it. Where, where are you right now? Because I know obviously you live in a bunch of different places and stuff, but where are you right now? Nowadays, so I've been... I've been living in the same country for, I have lived in various countries, uh, probably yeah, four in total. Um, right now I've been living in Portugal since about two, two, I've been in Portugal since about 2021, uh, officially moved here in 2022, uh, which, you know, might sound like a, a big jump to some people, but I'm dual nationali- nationality, uh, born and raised in London, England. Uh, I know you're Canadian. I know there's a London there, so I thought I'd make that clear. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but my parents are Portuguese, so it was always like a, I was kind of bored of, of London. I had uh, been living in Japan for about 15 months and I was deciding uh, where should I go after Japan. And, you know, Portugal felt like quite a natural choice for me. I've been here since, uh, since I mentioned, and I've been loving it since. It's a, a really nice place, good weather, tasty food, delicious food. Uh, the standard of living is relatively cheap compared to uh, England or definitely London as well. So, you know, that's nice. I, you know, I can do a lot more on, on a lot less. And um, and yeah, there's like, like winds all around. The area I'm in is a, a very convenient location. Everything is in walking distance. Um, I'm walking uh, a lot nowadays, which, you know, I'm, I'm happy to. It keeps me fit. Gym is in walking distance. The dojo, I know I'm like going on a huge huge tangent but yeah everything is good supermarket nearby train station yeah great place and i'm really happy i moved here and uh, if you've never visited portugal before uh, to daniel to, to you and the listener i would totally recommend visiting yeah i would i would love to come from whatever things that you've shared and you know people that i've seen that who i know that have been to portugal like it looks it looks incredible i mean most of europe looks amazing and just that lifestyle like like you're mentioning of things being close walkable fresh air all that stuff and whatever and you know, that's something I really want to come back to. But before we get too deep into it, uh, I just want you to give it, give you a chance to just introduce yourself quickly and kind of like what it is that, that you do, your trainer, but how do you like to introduce yourself, Lou? So, okay. So I feel like I, I've introduced myself a bit already. So yeah, born and raised in London in the UK, lived there for uh, the majority of my life. Uh, I'm a online coach nowadays. I used to do one-to-one personal training in central London in an area called Fulham. Uh, depending on how well the, the listener might know London. And I, I was there working one-to-one for a few years. I, I graduated university in a master's. I did a master's in strength and conditioning. Uh, so I, I, for a while, I thought I wanted to go down the sports-specific route because I, I did a an exchange year in the US. And I thought I, there was a time where that really inspired me because I, I saw how big college sports was out there. And I thought, you know, this is just awesome. I really want to get into this more. And because I was doing strength and conditioning, it made loads of sense. Um, and then, you know, around the time I was doing my master's, it was a part-time master's. I, I found a, a full-time job at the same time and it was personal training in a gym. And, um, and I just realized that it was, this was actually, it was actually a lot more my thing working with general population. And, um, I wouldn't, I don't know if fell out of love with like working with athletes is correct because I did some internships at at football clubs. Do you know Fulham FC? Yeah. Fulham. Yeah. So they were in the premier, uh, they're in the premiership. Now I did an internship there and uh, an internship at another professional football club in the championship, uh, a rugby club. And it was nice, but it just, yeah, general population was really cool. I, I carried on with that. And, uh, and then, yeah, I just grew to love it and I've stayed within it since. And now I, I work, I would say my, I would say my main thing is fat loss, uh, you know, muscle gain as well. Um, they, they usually will often come under the same umbrella. So I, I help people lose weight nowadays, uh, help them with their nutrition and whatever, maybe their, their, their training and uh, whatever it is that they're aiming for. If I feel like I can help them, happy to take them on. And, um, yeah, I was doing that. But then eventually when I moved to Japan, I did move online uh, completely because that was like funding my travels. And and then I, after that, I came to Portugal and I, I didn't go back in person. And uh, that's kind of like a just a, a brief 
101 Leo Alves. Yeah, yeah, lot lots to get into there for sure. I think a lot of people who get into training, coaching or or anything sport or physical activity related rather the the first thing that goes in your mind is oh I want to want to work with athletes I want to work with the best I want to work with you know whatever pro team is your favorite team and your favorite sport and that's like always the dream and then I think for most people as you learn about what that entails and and the people and the culture and the the, the logistics of those jobs and those kind of things a lot of people fall out of love with it or maybe it serves a purpose for a certain amount of time and then it's like okay I'd rather work with actually regular people it's not that there's anything wrong with either of them but there is a lot of joy that can come from coaching a team to like win a championship and all that stuff. But there's a different type of joy that is equally as great, maybe even more from like, you know, helping a, a mom lose a little bit of weight or helping a, a, someone gain a little bit of strength to feel confident in their body and all that stuff. So it's, it's two sides to it, but I think that it's a, it's a quite a common journey from aiming for pro sports and the highest level of, of physical activity and the physical body to, regular people, so to speak, and, and, and going down that route. Um, I do want to get into yeah. your travels though. And some of the things that you've like learned about from living in these different places. So, so let's start from, I guess, from the beginning, like first time leaving home was going to the U S for, uh, internship. Is that correct? Uh, so the first time I left home, uh, if you mean like London, I, I went to the north of England. It was a city called Preston, which is like in between Manchester and Liverpool. But the first time I left England was when I, I went to the USA. I did an exchange year at the University of Vermont. If you're wondering why I picked Vermont, I'll be honest, I, I didn't really know much about the U. Like, I, I, you know, I knew some of the different US states, but I, I didn't really know, like, you know, where they would lean politically or anything. I just always knew I really wanted to live in the USA for a year uh, since I was a kid so i was just like you know what give me whatever my top five choices were like very random different states looking back that had nothing to do with each other um and uh, and then yeah i just lived out there and yeah i, I did an exchange year there and it was it was really awesome and i would say that's the first time i really left my bubble and i had like very eye-opening experiences to someone who had uh, grown up in south london uh, which yeah which is uh, which was just a very interesting experience Right. And so now you, you were in school, so you didn't have as much like real world experience coaching people and stuff as you do now, certainly. So I'm not sure how much of this you would have been aware of at the time, but in hindsight, what were some of the biggest differences or, or things that shocked you just about like physical activity and health culture coming from home in London to Vermont? That's a good question. Uh, and yeah, like there's a, a lot of ways that we can take this. So first of all, um, yeah, if you've been to London before, you'll know that public transport is very good. And I, I, you know, I feel like if I was to compare London to maybe a city in the US, I would compare it, I would say it's very much like New York City. Like when I was in New York, I felt like I was almost home. Um, so public transport is very good. But, you know, when you go to a lot of the other places in the US, uh, in Canada, I would like, I'd like to compare it to Canada because I know you're Canadian, but I've only been to major cities in Canada. Uh, but when you go outside- Our public transportation like, sucks, so. Oh, okay. So there's that, yeah. So <laughs> if anyone, I, just to, sorry, just to, just to go on this for a second, if anyone ever looks at like the subway maps of major cities in the world, you'll see like London, subways going everywhere or or the metro, however it is, the tube, however you call it. Um, you look at like New York, all these other major cities and you look at Toronto, it's like, three lines or four lines that we have now it basically gets nowhere but anyways just that's that's our public transit so it's not very good <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah yeah it's uh to be honest like the things that i remember taking me back a lot and i was around i wouldn't when i was in vermont i didn't just stay in vermont like when i could i would travel around new england quite a bit it's close to the canadian border as well so i'd sometimes go into uh, quebec and well to be honest around not new england the things i remember that really took me back for someone who had just left the UK for, for the first time, or Europe for the first time, I should say, because I had been to other European countries on holiday, at least. Um, I remember the portion sizes being, there was a huge difference there. Like, and, you know, I had always heard that the portion sizes in the US were bigger, but that was just really interesting to see for the first time. I remember just small things that seemed totally random, like now looking back, but it, it really did stick out to me. I remember, for example, a friend of mine, he was also from the UK and in, in, when we were in the US, I, I think he was in McDonald's. He just wanted a, 
he went into Coca-Cola and he ordered a medium Coke and it came in like what looked like a bucket almost. And I was just like, <laughs> wow, that's insane. And, and I remember as well, uh, me and another friend in an, another time, this was a, a, during another month. I, this was when I was like doing a bulk and I was like at my heaviest and at, at a time when I could eat a lot. And uh, this was another friend who was actually coincidentally also doing a bulk. He could eat a lot. And I remember to feel at the time to feel satisfied just from whenever I would eat out, I would always have to get a large in, in Europe. I would always have to get a large just for me to feel satisfied. I remember being at a Chinese takeaway in New York and I ordered a large and I, I couldn't even, I, when it came, I was just like, this isn't like the size of it was huge. That humbled me. Instantly. I was like, I don't know what I was thinking ordering a large in New York. And, um, and, and I couldn't even finish half of it. I was just like, this is insane. And then obviously you've got things like, uh, the, 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 I think you would say the architecture of some cities, they're very, they've been built up to be very dependent on driving around, uh, maybe not so much in New York, but there are many U S cities like that. And you have to pretty much walk everywhere. So at the, at the start of this podcast, I did mention that everything is in walking distance. And the reason why I really appreciate that now is, um, I feel like I'm talking so much about my travels, but you, you did ask me about this. So, uh, so yeah, when yeah, I was in going. Houston, I was this last summer, uh, just, uh, just visiting. And I remember I just, you know, I, Texas was cool, but the one thing I just really didn't like about it was how I had to drive everywhere. Yeah. I didn't like that. And, um, and I, yeah, and now I, I feel like I appreciate that so much more now I'm back and I'm just, cause I took it for granted before. And now I'm like, you know, I, I just love this. Sometimes I just want to go for a walk and, you know, walking is good for you. And, you know, and, there's definitely issues with that, with uh, just having to drive everywhere. And there's a lot of issues you could probably say. And, um, you know, obviously doing what we do, health will be one of the biggest issues that come to mind where you're, if you're always driving, um, because, uh, you know, in Texas, in Houston, at least, I remember being told several times if, you know, with everyone driving, you could be walking. If you're walking, you are going to look a bit sus. Like you're going to look weird <laughs> if you're, you're going to be one of the only people walking. So it's just going to be like, what's this guy doing? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's true. Like it's probably the same in most bigger cities, especially in, in North America. I think one of the main differences, because this is something that I've noticed, like in travels to Europe, I've never lived anywhere in Europe, but you know, been on on vacation and whatnot. And you know, the cities are obviously so much older, and so they were built well before cars, and and even like people would have had carriages, like horse and carriages. So people were only walking, and you weren't going from town to town because, like, why would you ever need to do that? So everything was built within that town. But now especially in North America and any of the newer areas outside of the major cities, they're built with cars in mind. It's just like assumed that everyone will have a vehicle or access to a vehicle. And and that's the only way to get around. Like from where I live. So I used to live right downtown Toronto. And when I was living downtown, I didn't even have a car and I could walk anywhere and anywhere that was like a little bit farther. Uh, I could use our transit system. It's not great, but it's not that bad. Um, and then, you know, anything further than you just, you take an Uber or whatever. And also the cost of, of that is much cheaper than paying for parking, paying for all the stuff, having a car, all that stuff. But now that I live out in the suburbs, like for me to get from my house to downtown would take probably two and a half hours if I only relied on transit. Whereas if I just wow. drove like from my house to downtown, assuming there's no crazy traffic, it would take 40 to 45 minutes. Yeah, and so that's just the way that the system is built because it's assumed that like you're not really using transit here and it's just not convenient. It exists, but it's just not convenient and it certainly changes the way that we live. You mentioned even walking around and looking suspicious. I even notice in my neighborhood, very, very few people are just out for a walk without a dog. It's like people go for a walk to walk their dog and that's great. That's by all means like please walk your dog and walk yourself too. But there's very few people that are just going out for a walk just to wander around because there's not that much to look at. It's the same house, same neighborhood. Downtown, you're, there's you know big buildings, big lights, lots of people, lots of things going on. Things are getting a little squirrely downtown right now, but but there's lots of stuff going on. So it feels easier to walk around. So that's a huge, huge like lifestyle factor that really changes the way that, that we all live. And I think that you know a lot of North Americans have gone to Europe for vacation and they realized, wow, I ate so much, ate so much good food, but I didn't gain any weight. And I think part of that is because you're just end up walking a lot more. You walk from your hotel down to the restaurant back. And even those little 10 to 15 minute walks, like they really add up to a lot of activity throughout the day. And it makes a huge, huge difference. So that's a really big, that's a really big like thing to be aware of, I think for everyone. And 
If you don't live in a place that is super conducive to walking, you've got to manufacture it and and just force yourself to go out for a walk. And maybe you might be the, the weirdo in the neighborhood, but at least you'll be a little bit healthier, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a... Uh... In Houston, I remember when I was there, it was like the peak heat. It was like some days it was almost 40 degrees Celsius. And it was like, that's un- it was unbearably hot some yeah. days. And that was the first, because, you know, that with the combination of the fact that you did, there was like nowhere to walk. Uh, I think the closest just place to walk to was about a 40 minute walk away and it was just a gas station. And, uh, and that was the most I ever, I had to, because as someone who, I do care about my own health, um, doing what I do, of course. And that was the first time where I would, I found myself consistently like just walking on the treadmill. That was the most I'd ever walked in a trip. There was a treadmill in the house, luckily. And I found myself using it so often because I, I just had to, if I, if I didn't, I would be barely getting any movement in. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I think we can sometimes be critical of like, Oh, just go outside and walk. And I'm certainly like guilty of this. And I, I do think that we should go outside every day. And like, I think that's a thing that should happen and like, let your feet touch the grass and fresh air and all that stuff. But like mm. when you want to just go for an hour walk, if you live in a place like Houston in the summer, it is like very, very hot and it can be extremely uncomfortable. And like, maybe that's okay, but maybe that's not. And that's where, you know, something like a treadmill or even a stationary bike or some piece of cardio equipment in your house is it becomes extremely valuable. Now, of course, it's a little bit of an expense. You've got to have space for it, all those things. But if you can afford it now, there's those walking pad things that are actually like very affordable and they're not, you can't run on them because they don't go fast enough, but they're like two, 300 bucks. Like they're really not that much for, for, for one that's not half bad. So that's, and it's storable and all that stuff. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of ways to, to get around it, but it's something you've got to consider. It doesn't just happen by accident versus in Europe. It just happens because that's how that's how you live. It's how you live your life. And it's it's the way it gets done. Yeah. 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 Definitely don't have to pay much attention. Like it just happens naturally. Yeah. Right. And that's the ideal way I think for it to happen. So then when did you, when did you go to Japan after that? And and why did you go to Japan actually? Uh, So that's a good question as well. So when I was, so obviously the, when I was in the U S that was just an exchange year at university. So I came back to the UK, finished my degree. Um, Went into the masters part time. Uh, was working full time at a gym, as you know. And then I, I was kind of telling, like, I, I knew deep down I always wanted to live abroad again, at least one more time, at least while I was still, just you know, in my twenties when I didn't have as much life, you know, life responsibilities. And I decided I was like, you know, I I, I want to go somewhere where maybe English isn't the first language, just to challenge myself a bit more. And, um, and I, yeah, I just decided on Japan. I remember it was a bit of a spontaneous decision, uh, like the location, but yeah, I, I think I decided it in November and then ended up going in March. So it was, yeah, very, very uh, soon, uh, March, 2020, which was also a huge coincidence wow. because everyone knows what, you know, what, what took over the world at that point. And luckily I got there, uh, just on time because the day after I arrived, Japan actually closed its borders to the entire world. Um, wow. Yeah, that was, that was, so it was a crazy journey. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really good. I really loved living in Japan. Obviously though, uh, yeah, it was just a, a completely unique experience because in the U S it was just easy to talk to everyone and anyone. And even though I was studying Japanese, it's a very hard language to learn. You're not just going to learn it instantly. So, but yeah, it was a, an awesome experience. And to, to keep on the topic of what we were speaking about, yeah, you can definitely, you always hear that Japan case has one of the light, highest life expectancies in the world. It has a, I think one of the lowest obesity rates in the world, if, if not the lowest, uh, on, on both, at least top three. And, um, and yeah, and you can see why. Once you're there, you're like, okay, now this all makes a lot of sense. You know, every public transport, it's amazing. It's, it's by far the best public transport I've ever experienced. Everything is punctual. Everything is on the minute. And uh, and then as well as that, so yeah, you're obviously you're, you're set up to be able to, to walk a lot more because the public transport is good. And then just the ready-made food out there is very good quality uh, in the UK. Ready-made food, you're kind of going to imagine is probably not so good quality in Japan. It's like good amount of fiber. Most of, most of, uh, like typically speaking, a good amount of fiber, some protein in there, you've got some vegetables in there and you can see why it's very, it's easier, easy. It's just like, it happens naturally where everyone just stays a lot healthier because uh, just society has been set up conveniently for that. So I think it's just a lot more effortless for a lot of people living out there. And, you know, this is quite a random statistic that I'm a, uh, or, or fact that I'm about to bring up, but I bring it up because I was actually speaking about it yesterday with a friend and, um, Japan actually has uh, one of the lowest 
mortality rates in the world, or if not the lowest, amongst the elderly for deaths from falling over because they lack balance. And look, and this makes sense because I remember, and I didn't fact check that, I'll be honest, but it was from a reliable source. But uh, it, I remember thinking when I was there, so when obviously when gyms closed down in Japan for only six weeks, so it wasn't long at all, but I would, so sometimes I would uh, train in the park and I would do that before or after, you know, I'd maybe just do some pull-ups, some chin-ups, uh, you know, some, anything to keep me fit. And I remember Japan is the only country. So I've, you know, I've been around different European uh, countries and the US and Canada and Japan until this day is the only country where I have seen so many elderly people men and women going to the park, training, keeping fit. And they would, re they would rep out chin-ups as well as anyone else. And I thought that was just amazing to see. I'd never seen that in any other country, the elderly people doing that. And I heard that fact and I was like, that makes so much sense because you can see they are definitely making a lot more of a conscious effort to stay fit and healthy. So that fact didn't surprise me about uh, how they have the lowest mortality rates when, you know, when it comes to uh, falling over, because obviously when you, the older you get, that can be, uh, that there's obviously an increased risk with that. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And th these are like one of the, this is one of the things that people think that fitness, uh, oh, it's just about getting jacked and looking a certain way and all that stuff. And it's like, that's what matters. It's about not dying when you fall over when you're elderly. And that's horrible and it's sad and every time and it always will be. And of course it will still happen and there's always a risk for it, but you want to like reduce that risk as much as possible. So in the Japanese culture, for whatever reason, which maybe, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if you know why or how or whatever, but like elderly people continue to train and like doing that stuff is just a part of their life. And that makes it really easy to continue to be healthy because it's all kind of built in, even with the quality of the takeaway food is, is huge because you don't have this decision fatigue. Like in North America, we can, we have, if you live downtown in a city, you can get any type of food that you want whether it's like the least healthy food or like the most healthy food and there'll be varying prices of all that but you have the because you have the option to get those healthy foods unless you've like thought about it or are very disciplined or whatever most of the time you're going to choose like the burger and fries or the pizza or the whatever versus the the chicken salad kind of thing you're not going to make that choice just when they're when the two takeaway spots are like right beside each other sometimes you might but most of the time you won't and when you don't even have the choice or the abundance of choice of that much less healthy option with massive portion sizes and all that stuff, well, then the decision is already made for you and therefore you by default stay healthier. So it's it's really cool to hear that like the elderly people train. Were they training sort of in just like on their own following some sort of something that looked somewhat structured or were they were they in a class with a with a trainer or how like what was the what was the setup of all this? So what I personally saw, it wasn't really classes that I saw. It was just more they were just training on their own and or maybe them and a friend. And it just looked like it was a, just a typical part of their routine because they certainly didn't look like they would they were even struggling. They just like knew what they were doing. Go and They would go and do it. And then when they were done, they'd leave. And it, yeah, it just looked very natural to them. So, yeah, it was a, it was very cool to see. And and um and to, to, you know, and to stay on this subject of, of, uh, reasons why when I was out there, I was like, okay, this makes so much sense. Why life expectancy is high. Why be, uh, why the low, uh, obesity rate is low. And just some other factors that came to mind as we were having this conversation. And, you know, you can, some people might say there's, they are maybe a pro or a con, uh, but I do believe they are factors that contribute. So, uh, one that comes to mind straight away is that, uh, when you typically order meals out there. So in, in like the U S or the UK, it will come on like one plate and it's just like, a pile of just food uh, whereas in japan it typically comes in like loads of different smaller plates and you're you might have like and you just have like one item of food on each plate and i think that just uh yeah i feel like that just gets you to eat less overall perhaps because uh, you have to repeatedly order more as well if you actually want more rather than just having a huge pile of food on on the one plate so there is that uh, one thing i did actually uh, i actually got told uh, a few of my japanese friends mentioned this to me where it was uh, there was a, a lot of fat shaming out there like you know people do it in the west as well and and um but it's more like oh don't say that it's like don't say that like whereas in japan like people often just typically tell you straight up that's at least this is what I, my japanese friends would tell me and that and actually the beauty standards out there are very different as well so skinny is what's deemed very attractive so i think so there is a, a factor there where a lot of people are just 
obviously trying to fit in with the beauty standards as well and then trying to stay skinny whereas in the west i don't think it would be unfair to say where perhaps maybe more of like a a thicker and i put that in air quotes look is a is what's like what people desire nowadays perhaps or at least not everyone but a lot of people generally speaking yeah i think i think that that definitely matters too and that's just a large cultural thing i think the the fat shaming like I, i i'm not i struggle to even call it fat shaming there because it's said in a way of like love without negative connotation it, like from my understanding of it from speaking to people who live in in asia not necessarily in japan but in various places in asia it's like you know m- mom will tell you like hey like you, you're you're gaining weight you're, you're too you're overweight you need to lose weight and it's it's very the speech is very direct but it's not intended in a in a mean way i'm not sure if that kind of makes sense but it's like no you're overweight it's just objective you're overweight and you need to lose weight to be healthier and to be more beautiful or to whatever and i think that that's very different than the way that things happen here where it's seen as bullying and calling kids names and calling people you know making assumptions about people and all that stuff where it's our speech is so much less direct that whenever you say direct things it just hurts people's feelings and i think that's just a huge cultural difference but a story that i have on this actually i had a client once who was um she was from South Korea and she was in Toronto on exchange and she was like going, she was going back to Korea and she was taking a job at a, or interviewing for a job at an airline. She wanted, she was going to be a, a flight attendant on some, some airline. I don't remember which one, but some airline. And she was pretty small and she said, oh, I need to weigh like, she, she let's, let's just put some numbers to it. I think she weighed 50 kilos and she needed to weigh 45 kilos in like six weeks and i was like okay and and this and this was for the job this is like they do body composition measurements and stuff for the job and like all this stuff and i was like well i mean i guess it's possible but like the way that we're gonna have to get there is going to be horrible and i'm not sure that you like exactly want to do that like it's not gonna be good but this is just this was like what was in her mind the the standard of what had to be done and i may be fudging the numbers a little bit i don't remember exactly but it was some extreme amount of weight loss for someone of her size in a very short period of time and just again speaks to like the the standards of things that happen there and and that contributes to all this so while some of it is good where the city is more walkable, the transit is better, the the culture around physical activity is more enhanced and all that stuff. There are some also negative sides of it too. It can it can certainly lean lean too far in in that direction. But I think it's also like this is, becomes a huge conversation just about like psychology and and bullying, if you will, and like how much is too much, because I think that, you know, some pressure to be healthy. And if we keep it on the health side of things and keep it away from the beauty side of things, like, you know, you can, you can love yourself and you know do your thing and think you're beautiful no matter how you look and all that stuff. And yes, you should do that. But like, you can't just, if you're overweight, like you're overweight, there's no, you gotta, you gotta get healthier. So there's a larger conversation around that, but I think that's something for uh, for for uh, for another day. What was the now? Maybe COVID put put a put a wrench in this, but what was the gym culture like specifically in Japan? That is a really good question because I actually like this was almost something I was probably forgetting until you mentioned it again now. So, I, I there there's a, a gym culture there for sure. I one thing that I thought really stuck out to me is that. I noticed that the, and I would say this is, yeah, just something I noticed is that typically speaking, and I went to many different gyms out there because I was moving around the country quite a bit. So it's not like this was just restricted to one gym. I'd see this quite a bit is that I would say your average gym goer would usually, so I I know this wasn't necessarily your question, but this was something that stuck out to me. I feel like your average gym goer, maybe in the UK or the US typically knows what like just how to use good form. Whereas I noticed the average gym goer in Japan nearly always just had really bad form. And you know why? I don't know. But I, I remember that just really stuck out to me. And I remember because I just remember it happening so frequently. Like there were so many people using a lot of poor form when it came to so many exercises. And I always thought that was quite interesting. And I did wonder why. And again, this is just my experience and what I noticed. Uh, yeah, that one really stuck out to me. But I think uh, otherwise, yeah, gym culture, yeah, there, there definitely is one. Um, I didn't really get to, like, it was a bit tricky because as you said, you know, COVID was like at 
when it was probably it was it was peaking uh, so it was hard to get involved in certain things uh, the one i was probably exposed to the most was probably the the bodybuilding culture out there that was probably just by coincidence because uh, coincidentally uh, some bodybuilders would train at the gyms that i was training at so i, I would typically see it uh, but yeah i think that was just a, that one random thing really stuck out to me where just typically the i, I did notice that uh, more people i would say when it comes to uk and us gyms it, it was very noticeable that most people do typically know what they're doing compared to uh, in japan interesting my only guess and this is totally just like pulling it out of my ass is that the gym culture and like lifting in a gym for regular people not athletes is m- perhaps a little bit newer or less yeah, old yeah. in in Japan or less established in in Japan versus like yeah. the US and maybe the UK and so maybe there's just not as many good trainers or just general like education about that that would be the only thing that i could think that would lead to that cuz other than that like why would why would one group of people just by chance have worse form like everyone's form sucks if you don't know what you're doing obviously <laughs> so so that that'll be the only thing that i could think of as to as to how that would happen, which is, I mean, that will improve over time as more education, more good trainers, more stuff gets there, then that will, that will change. Did you notice any difference in, in, in the, um, the way that people were working out versus like, were more people doing cardio stuff versus strength training? Or was there any kind of difference in that or the way that people kind of went about their training or, or not really? Uh, from what I saw, I felt like it was uh, it was pretty similar. Uh, that aside, I think everything was pretty similar. Like, uh, um, I feel like I feel like this is just something that's happening worldwide, where I feel like a lot of gyms are moving away from being predominantly cardio, uh, like just majority cardio equipment, and they are. And this is worldwide, where I feel like yeah, a lot of gyms are starting to see that resistance training is becoming increasingly popular, and now they are catering for that, and they are putting good quality machines and dumbbells and barbells in their gyms and that's what's becoming the majority of it uh, rather than uh, just cardio equipment because i remember even walking into gyms in the uk um and i know i know you mentioned japan specifically but yeah I, i do feel like yeah it was very similar in that part but yeah i remember walking to gyms in the uk back in like the early 2010s and it, w- it most gyms would often just have loads of treadmills loads of cross runners loads of uh, stationary bikes and then you'd look at the resistance training section and it was non-existent and that was like quite common and then nowadays it's, it's very rare you see something like that i feel like or at least yeah. a lot less yeah yeah it's it's definitely changing a bit but i think in my opinion it's still like far too skewed like my university gym and when i was in my undergrad it was a massive room so they had like a pretty decent dumbbell area uh, but there was one squat rack and there was, I don't know how many wow. treadmills and bikes and what are all tons of cardio stuff, but like there's one squat rack and then like a handful of machines and like untold amounts of cardio equipment that were never full, obviously. And yet there was like always a lineup at the, at the squat rack. And the, the, the funny part of that, actually, I didn't realize this until right now is that the athlete gym, which I would sometimes be able to sneak into in the, which is a separate for the, the, the the athletes of the of the school sports teams um, obviously had no cardio equipment. I think they had like a rower and like a set of battle ropes in the gym, but then it was just like five or six squat racks and like various amounts of dumbbells and kettlebells and stuff like that. And so that was just a strange thing. It's like, okay, this is what works for training athletes, and then for regular people, like uh, just throw them on the throw them on the treadmills and stuff like that too. So, and even from like, I can't understand this from a gym perspective, and maybe just because I've never owned a big commercial gym, but wouldn't it be just like more economical to have a few squat racks than running all those cardio equipment that's like all plugged in so requires electricity and then it also they all they always break down they need servicing like a squat rack never needs service until it rusts and like breaks in 35 years <laughs> it doesn't you put it there and you just leave it and that's it so i don't know but i'm but i am happy to see the change and i think that more people are embracing strength training versus just going to the gym for cardio not that there's anything wrong with cardio obviously cardio is good and we talked about walking and all this stuff but I think best bang for your buck in the gym. Like you can, you can get a treadmill in your house. You can walk outside. You can do cardio outside of the gym. It's very hard to do gym stuff outside of the gym. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. And that is a very good point that I didn't even think about before. Yeah. Surely it does make more economic sense to uh, not have so many things plugged up within gyms. Yeah. That's a good point. And a lot of commercial gyms do care about that first and foremost. So you'd think that's something uh, they'd have maybe realized by now. 
Yeah, you'd think so. But then the other side of that is maybe, I mean, they care about getting people in the door. So maybe if people or their perception is that people care about having more cardio equipment, then having more cardio equipment is more economical for them because they're getting more membership signups or whatever. Again, I don't, I don't know the economics of it. It just seems like that to me, but obviously like I'm biased because that's what, when I walk into a gym, I'm like, oh, I, I don't want to have to wait for the squat rack. And there's only one squat rack and, you know, 67 people in this gym right now. Like, let's just make a couple more of these and get rid of some of these treadmills <laughs> that nobody's using right now. So, but, but, uh, but yeah. Now in Portugal, what is the gym culture like as opposed to the, the, the rest of the places that you, that you've lived in? that's a that's also so yeah that's also another good question and the reason why i say these are good questions is because i feel like this isn't something i usually typically speak about with anyone uh, these are just things like i kind of like note for, i notice for myself and then i just kind of keep it to myself unless someone asks me but no one has really asked me this before so it's the first time i'm going to speak about it and i feel like one thing i've noticed and i have a, a good friend of mine here he's a very smart with a, he's an online coach as well very smart miguel mendez uh, so quick shout out to him and i was actually discussing him this with him the other day because he's portuguese uh, lived in the uk before so he can see the difference too and we both agreed that the there is a lot more like bro science within like way more compared to the US, UK. I feel like there's like a, yeah. a good mix, of like bro science and then like real, like real science, if you, yeah. for lack of a better term. <laughs> in Portugal, it's like very, very much like there's like still like they believe in a lot of myths still. Or like, yeah, just bro science is very dominant. And, uh, and it's just, that is definitely something I've noticed. Interestingly, I feel like they're definitely, it's, it's definitely more behind in like the online coaching context. Uh, so that's not something I, I push too much here in my online coaching. Uh, like I, I still, that's more something I push to like towards the audience in the UK or the rest. But uh, yeah, it's, it's very much involved in the bro science still. Like just the other day, for example, and this is where my mind goes, uh, straight away I was doing some overhead presses uh, with a barbell and uh, and so uh, yeah, and it was like a, a dude in his 50s. He, he meant well, so I, I didn't take it badly. And I, in fact, I thanked him after. Um, he was telling me that like, oh man, he's like, wear a, a lifting belt. Like you want to wear a lifting belt now because you are going to damage your back doing that without a, a lifting belt. And I was like, well, that's not actually what a, a lifting belt is for. Uh, but like, <laughs> anyway, like I, cause I, I didn't know what to say because I, I knew yeah. that he was wrong. But I also knew that he meant well. Um, but he was like, well, you know, it, it, he almost looked at me as like, well, you're just going to hurt yourself if you don't listen to me, but it's up to you. But I was just like, yeah, like, uh, just thank you. So like, there is a lot of bro science that, that happens, um, amongst, uh, just like, yeah, just a lot of people. And I, why as well? Like, I, I'd love to bring up the question of why and have some sort of answer, but I don't know. And that's mm. something I'm like still figuring out myself, but that is very dominant in, in this, in this country still. Yeah, that's that is absolutely not what I was expecting at all. I would have it, my guess actually would have been like the opposite that it would have been a little oh, been a little bit more like more informed of, of real science and more of the myths have been kind of busted and they're like a little bit ahead just because I feel like I feel like everything trickles down from sport and so because there's so much money in in Portuguese soccer and any any European country's soccer like the, I assume that those places like the 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 team training like is very, very good and up to date on the latest science and whatever, all that stuff. And that just trickles its way down into like regular society. So if the, if the guys at the top it, or if there's like no established like sports league, then, then you'd be more, uh, exposed to bro science and just the myths that exist out there. But then when you have guys who like, uh, again, I assume that they know what they're doing that trickles down and maybe that's true and maybe it didn't work this way, but this is again, all my assumptions. Uh, I would have just guessed that like they would have been a little bit, a little bit ahead of this, a little bit more into like the functional training and trying to be slim and not, not getting into these, like these kind of myths and stuff like that. But super interesting. But I mean, I think it's a good example of, of just like gym interactions. Like you said, like that guy, he means well, he's, he's, yeah, yeah. he's trying to help and he, he doesn't know better. And like, and that's, and that's okay. But like for you to, to get into an argument with him is like, it's just not worth your time. You just like, oh, thanks, man. Like, thanks for the tip, and just go on doing doing what you're doing. And he might think, oh, this young kid in the gym, like, what an asshole, didn't even listen to me, doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, and you know, fine. But you know, it, it's it's a very fine line to as to when to like step in and help someone in the gym versus versus not. Did you ever did you ever try like do that in Japan when you, you notice that people were like using really bad form? Did you ever step in and be like, hey, I'm a trainer, like I can maybe help you with this kind of thing? 
I didn't, but the reason I I did like ask myself like, oh, should I do it? Should I not? But I I didn't, and it. Uh, they, like I have been on the like I wouldn't really if if I saw someone doing something really dangerous and I, I would have stepped in but if it's just something yeah I, I didn't I would say that was more because probably because of the language barrier now thinking about it mm. um, because yeah but to be honest now like now I'm thinking about that I don't really do that in the UK or the US I would I think I've rarely done that just because unless someone asks me for advice specifically of course if they ask me for advice I'm always happy to help but you know unless they maybe if they don't ask me and it's it's not nothing like too dangerous they're just doing it wrong then I'll leave them to do their own thing um but yeah the only time I'd probably step in if if they were doing something overly dangerous but I, I didn't I know I didn't step in and do that in Japan um should I have? I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, in uh, in Portugal, yeah, they do breathe, eat, sleep football. And people here are obsessed with it. So football is the main sport. Uh, the second and third most popular sports are indoor football and then beach football. Uh, so <laughs> it's just, yeah. And, and then we've got like, like our other sports are okay, but those are definitely the three most popular, if I'm not wrong. And um, yeah, but yeah, the the I, I was wondering, is it just like my own bubble or just my own experiences coincidentally that has led me to notice that? And maybe the like generally speaking, they are quite informed. But then having that conversation with uh, the other fellow coach who does live in a different part of Portugal and he does know a lot more people here, and he also confirmed what I had already had a hunch of. Yeah, I was like, okay, maybe this is uh, the trend right now or this is just what it is right now and i i don't know yeah so yeah there is a, a lot of uh yeah like i'm sure you of course you've got your very well informed people but um like all places would but yeah just gen generally speaking i know we're doing a lot of generally speaking here in this podcast episode but yeah generally speaking that is what i've uh that's my experience and that's what i've seen and yeah it's very interesting because you would imagine that when someone like a country like portugal where yeah like their football is a at least the national team and the players they produce is elite maybe the the league not as much but um yeah just uh in in regard to other places and like uh, i guess into the physical physical education of uh, just regular people is uh maybe still could do some evolution but then that's like a, a lot of countries to be honest in uh around the world yeah yeah and it, it's different in in a lot of gyms and stuff well like you'll have pockets of gyms in, in here, like even around where, where I live, like there are some gyms where just like the, for whatever reason, the culture of that gym, it's not like the greater fitness culture, but the culture of that gym is just like very bro-y or very, you know, whatever. They do a lot of like weird stuff. And then there'll be another gym that does like all opposite of bro-y, but like no one lifts anything more than, you know, 12 and a half pounds. And like, there's like these little pockets in, in like gyms and that's developed by that culture of that gym. But I think the overall culture is like pretty pretty mixed I, i'm also with you on like the jumping in to, to help people in the gym just to go back to that for a second like i would never just go out of my way to like tell someone what to do in the gym i if someone same as you if someone's doing something dangerous where they look like they're about to hurt themselves or someone else then i will step in but i would do that in in any scenario even if i didn't like no if i saw some guy carrying a ladder down the street and like he looked like he was able to whack someone in the head i would stop and try and help the guy right so i, I would never help, jump in and help someone unsolicited the only other scenario is where and, and you catch this it's not often but every now and then it happens where it's like someone who's younger or maybe even someone who's older but like they're definitely new to the gym they're kind of like you can tell that they're looking around in a way that they don't they don't know what they're doing and they're and they're kind of looking for help but they they're a little bit shy to to ask and so like when i catch those moments then i'll like kind of just ask them if they need help rather than jumping in and being like hey do this because that's 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 wrong but asking someone i think like hey how can i how you look like you're having trouble like with whatever can i help you can I, can I offer some advice? Can I, whatever. And I think that's a, that's an okay way to do it. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I've, I've, you know, people come up to you in the gym and say stuff and it's like, all right, man, whatever, <laughs> go about, <laughs> go about your day and, and move on. Now, one thing that I've been thinking about as you've been talking about the, the, the different just physical activity and health cultures of all of these places that you've lived, how did that actually impact your personal fitness and health? And what did you do to sort of combat the differences that you could maintain like your routine oh yeah that's a good question it's definitely impacted that and it's also impacted my coaching as well um 
so when I, whenever I was in these countries, uh, you know, routine is, routine is very important to me. So I would always make like a, a conscious effort to find at least some sort of routine. Um, I would say the way it impacted it was, so I knew I was, okay, I'm going to go to Japan just because uh, this example comes to mind straight away. So when I was in Japan, I, I thought I was only going to be there for a year. So I, I ended up being 15 months. I, so I knew it wasn't like a forever thing. So for example, when I was in the UK, just before going to Japan, like for a year, I was very dialed with my nutrition, very dialed with my training. And and I, I could be because I was at a time in my life where I could be and I was seeing amazing results. And then when I went to Japan, that's not to say that like I, I took a, a massive back step, but it was also almost like a more of a, a maintenance thing. Like I was still training maybe, I don't know, four days a week there, but I was way more lenient on, on the food out there because again, I knew that I wasn't going to be there forever. And I knew that I wanted to experience and try so many different foods and, and I, and, and, uh, and yeah, and that was just something I had to, um, at first that was probably a little bit of a hard for me to understand after being so dialed, but you know, I was like, yeah, no, this is a, I want to experience this and I know I'll regret it if I don't. And uh, so that's just something that I, I remember. And, you know, I mentioned that it had impacted my coaching and I, and the reason why I say this is because uh, years ago, I remember I was working with a, a client in the US and this was before I really understood what US cities and places and, and were like. And I, I remember they were, this was when I was like a, a young guy, teenager still. I was like just one of my first few clients. And I remember they were said, they mentioned they were struggling to do this, to get their steps higher. And I remember just, you know, speaking about them, how they could improve it. But looking back, like I, I couldn't understand why they were struggling as much. But nowadays it makes so much sense to me because I, I know exactly uh, what the U.S. cities are like. So even just traveling around has obviously not only helped with, you know, how I approach my own health and fitness, but how I communicate it with others as well, because, yeah, everything just, uh, it, it makes, um, I just understand things a little bit more. Uh, so there, so yeah, that was uh, definitely something um, I, know, I, I noticed as well. And, and in the U.K., from the UK, I would say that's the that's the only country where I have done one to one personal training. Um, so that's probably uh, yeah, that's like and this is like such a, a random thing that comes to mind. But this was actually um, and I don't even this was probably not even related to what you said earlier uh, at all. Like the question that you just mentioned that all, but I remember um, just maybe even going back to the the opening point of the podcast. One of the reasons why I decided okay, you know what, athletes like they're cool but I, I really want to do this because I remember the one of the first moments I was having like like a, oh wow like this is actually it's way cooler working with general population because I remember one of the first ever clients I ever had in person was a, a gentleman he was like in his 50s so you know like in the grand context of life still relative like still quite young like you know especially if the average life expectancy is around 80 in the UK and he could not he couldn't he couldn't sit down like without holding on to something so he could barely squat uh, without like falling over to one side and um and i remember he couldn't get up from the floor either so if he was on the floor he couldn't get up without holding on to something either and i remember after a few weeks of working with him i remember he he could squat down he was not only squatting he could squat with like 30 kg dumbbells so goblet squats and uh, he could get up the floor uh, completely fine. So I know I didn't answer your question that specifically there. And uh, I, I, that just came to mind. But I thought that was just a, a, something that just uh, randomly came to mind now that I thought, yeah, that's awesome. And it's like uh, you even said at one point of the podcast where a lot of people just think uh, health and fitness is, you know, trying to get as huge as possible and as much muscle and, and fat loss. But sometimes it's just about moving better as well and just preparing yourself for uh, just, uh, you know, later on in life, which I think is quite hard to appreciate maybe when we're in our twenties or our thirties, uh, but yeah, that is, that, that has, is a bit of advice I've been giving, given from people who've been training maybe for, and they're in there for, uh, for many years and they're in their forties, fifties, sixties. And yeah, it's something that you, you do start thinking about more, but yeah, that was awesome. It is, it is difficult to, uh, to think about these things when you're young and to think about, okay, when I'm 50, if you're 30 or in your twenties or whatever, think about, oh, when I'm 50 or 60 or 70, I might not be able to like stand up because right now standing up, you, you give no thought to it. It's not, it's not an issue, but those people who, who get to that point where they can't stand up or get off the floor or whatever, they also thought that at one point. And so one of the advantages of, of having a coach is that we get to have these experiences through 
other people. So you, Leo, have more experience than most people because you've lived in different places. So if a client comes to you from the U.S., from Japan, from you know different places in the world, you have much more context than than I do because you've lived in those places and have a better understanding of like what their lifestyle setup would be would be like and some of the struggles and some of the benefits and all that stuff. But at the same time, like the reason that that you know you or I could coach a, a a mother is because not because either of us are mothers, but it's because we've coached other mothers in the past and have experienced through them. And so that that's just one of the big advantages I think of of having a coach is just you get to have other people's experiences. And it's like you know, the thing that comes to mind now is like when your parents tell you something when you're little, and it's like, oh, you, you listen to me, and you're thinking in your head like, what do you know, mom? It's and they say, well, you know, you'll, you'll understand when you're older. That's like, that's the same thing as a coach. It's like, I, I know that I'm not 50, obviously, but I understand through other people what the struggles are that they have when they're 50 and how to avoid those things by starting now when you're 25. And, you know, we've like, I have my whole knee thing and whatever, and like the time when I couldn't move. And so I have that to, to, to kind of hang back on, but it's, it's just this understanding of like, it's not bothering you now, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to bother you in the future. And as difficult as that is to understand, like you've, you know, whoever's listening, you really got to try and wrap your head around that because that's the thing that matters. It's not about losing one more percent of body fat. That is cool and important and do it. But if you want, but it's the, it's just being able to live your life. That is the, that is the thing that matters. Like the elderly people in Japan. If you can't go hang out with your with your buddies in the park when you're 75 and do pull-ups, like, well, you're missing out on social time if you if you can't do that, right? Or go on a hike or what have you. So I think there's so much more value than that. And it's just like not as cool to talk about to most people, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, another example actually came to mind um, <clears throat> that I almost forgot about, but your about your question about how it's impacted um, just, you know, my my own fitness or health and or, or my coaching. And uh, actually, this is just a, like a, another realization I came to. And I, I feel like you'll be able to relate to this. I, I found that a lot of, so as I said, I only do online coaching nowadays. And I found that a lot of my online clients that initially come to me, typically speaking, they struggle with their protein intake. Like typically speaking, most people are under eating in protein. One thing I've, I've quickly noticed is that I do have a few online clients in Portugal um, or had uh, like have and had and like past and present. I've always noticed that typically speaking, the the, the Portuguese people that I have come to me, protein is not like they are, they, they, their protein intake is amazing from, and I noticed that pretty quickly and I'm just like, wow, like that's just a, a really interesting observation that I've come across as well. Like I like, and the only people I'm comparing this to, I've never trained anyone in Japan, but like I'm comparing it more to the UK and the US um, and then maybe Aust and Australia as well. And uh, yeah, that was just something I quickly noticed. And if I was to ask, if I was to ask myself why, I, I know the Mediterranean like southern european the way we eat here it's a lot of meat a lot of seafood so that that didn't that didn't surprise me too much when i noticed that i was like okay this is a, a recurring pattern and it makes sense yeah definitely and, and i think these are the small things that when you when you apply it to a large number of people it actually makes a, a statistical difference in like just the health of the uh, the general health of the country right if if every person in portugal eats like uh I don't know, 10% more protein. Like we're just making up numbers here, but whatever, 10% more protein than the average like American. Well, that would have effects on people's body weight and overall health and that, and that kind of stuff, right? So these are the things that like the society setup matters a lot and you can't, no, you can't do, you can't do anything about that. You're not going to, you know, go outside and like just change every single fast food <laughs> restaurant in New York and change all the portion sizes. Like that's not going to happen, but you got to make some, you got to just be aware of these things that you're, I think falling, that people fall into these traps of like, well, I just, I always order a large because that's what I order and I finish the whole thing and be aware of what's actually happening. And then you can start to change your behaviors and habits and your lifestyle around that to adapt the thing that you actually want, which which is improving your health, presumably. And I know you have a Italian and Greek heritage as well. So that's probably something maybe you've noticed as well for, uh, with the way people eat or drink out there uh, when you visited those countries, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I, I've i never uh, like had a client from, from either place, but just like through my own family and through, through being there and live not living there, but like, you know, when I went on vacation there, we did like some touristy stuff, but then we also just like 
kind of hung out with the family and like had the local experience for, for like a number of days where we just did like normal stuff. Um, and yeah, there was, there was always like some meat or fish or something on the table and the food, like this is such a hot topic now, but like the food was so much more high quality and I can't actually explain or describe what that was other than it just, you just know it to be true. It didn't taste like fake in any way or processed the, the ingredients were better the water like tasted better these these things and so i think all of that again i can't describe or like uh, uh what's the word calculate that in, in any way but it just felt like to be true and there was just a bigger there just seemed to be a bigger focus on uh on protein just inherently and the overall portion sizes were smaller like in italy you'll go and have a a five or six course meal for like an average lunch, not like a special occasion, just like a regular lunch. And you think of that and it's like five or six courses in the U S might be like, like an insane amount of food, but five or six courses in Italy dragged out over four hours is like, you'll be full. You're not hungry when you leave, but you're not stuffed to the point of like going crazy. And there was a lot of protein. There was time between meals. You get up and walk before and after. And like the portion sizes are just not, you might have a plate of pasta, but it's like a, you know, like a fistful of pasta, not like a giant heaping mountain of pasta on the plate as, as like an Italian restaurant in, in North America might, might serve. So those are some of the big differences. But again, I mean, like you can't control that unless you're willing to like move to a country that is <laughs> somehow more healthier or more healthy. So you've got to just find the things that are happening to you sort of unconsciously or subconsciously and figure out ways to fix those or, or improve them overall. Yeah. 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 I think you described it so well. Like um, I find a way Italians and uh, Portuguese or just Southern Europeans in general, it, there are a lot of similarities in just the way you were describing it also. Yeah. I, I could relate to that here quite a bit. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I guess doing what we do, uh, these are things that we quickly notice. And, um, and you know, yeah. And, you know, I was actually going to mention something. This is actually like, I feel like I'm uh, to almost like a move on. Um, did you, did you want to mention any something else on that before I actually bring up something no. else? Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Uh, uh, yeah. I had a post and this is actually going back to the conversation that we had uh, previously that um, I was going to mention and then we ended up moving on and I forgot to completely mention it. But I remember uh, so the the one to one client that I had in the UK where he could uh, barely squat down and to go back on that subject. The reason why I, I thought about that as well is because I, I saw a post of yours that you posted the other day, uh, why uh, a client of yours was asking why they have to squat to full range of motion. And I thought that was just like, you, you put it really well. Like I, I loved that post. Uh, yeah. And, um, I thought, yeah, it was in, if the, the listener doesn't know what we're speaking about, maybe, I don't know if you want to describe it to give them some context. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll link it in the, in the, uh, in the show notes of this, but the, the, the gist of the post was like a client had asked me like, he he's in his forties. Um, and he's like, Oh, and I was telling him to, you know, squat lower. And I know that he can, it's not like a forcing him down into like a range of motion that he's not able to do. And he's like, why do I need to do this? Like, I'm not a bodybuilder. Like who cares? And I said, well, like the toilet is over here and you're not even squatting this deep to the toilet and you're 47 now or however old he is, you know, how deep do you think you're going to be able to squat when you're 80? And he kind of like looked at me and he was like confused, like who, who cares about that? And I said, well, if you don't do this now, like you're not going to be able to take a shit by yourself when you're older. And that kind of like really, he kind of like laughed, but like understood what I was saying. And now like the language of that, like I wouldn't say that to every client, but like, you know, we have that, that's the personal part of personal training, um, knowing, knowing the person in front of you. But, um, the, the point of it is like, listen, if you don't do these things now, your body is not going to get healthier, fitter, more range of motion or stronger by doing nothing. So if you can't even do the things now that you're going to be able, that you're going to need to do later in life, then like you're setting yourself up for disaster. So you've got to overdo it now and in a way, not overdo it in a way that you're injuring yourself, but work your body to the fullest ability that it can now so that you can maintain as much ability as you can throughout the rest of your life. And it becomes about being able to go to the bathroom by yourself, being able to dress yourself, being able to bring your groceries into the house by yourself, being able to play with your kids or your grandkids, or be able to go for a, go for a hike, a walk around the neighborhood, like do the things that you want to do in your life. It's not about being, it's not about having bigger legs. Like this guy's 47 years old. He doesn't 
eat or train like a bodybuilder. He just trains like a regular person. He is absolutely not going to have massive legs by squatting to full range of motion. That's just not how it happens. But he's going to be able to live his life a little bit more pain-free and a little bit more uh, freely if he just does that from now until until forever. And that that was the the gist of the post. And that one like did did really did it got it was very well received. Um, so it's probably one that I'll continue to. I've posted it twice now, but I think I'll continue to repost it every like few months kind of thing, just because I think it's a really good reminder and you know the wording of it somehow like it it hits it hits really well. So. But I'm happy that it that it gets the message out more than anything else because that's that's what it's really about. Like yeah, again, we've said it so many times. I've said it so many times. Like yeah, we're young guys. It's good to like lift heavy weights and like push yourself and like be all broy alpha in the gym. Like don't get me wrong. Like I love that too. But like the real thing that it's about is being able to being able to just move and do the things that you want. And if you've ever had an experience, I hope you don't. But if you've ever had an experience where your ability to move has been taken away from you, then you'll understand that. Um, and if not, then take it from people who have had that experience like myself or people who have lived through that experience with other people like Leo and coaching and all these things. And, uh, and you just got to internalize that and, and use that to, to fuel your training. And I think a, a good portion of your life as well. Yeah. Yeah. You said it, you said it really well. I don't think I can even add anything to that, but yeah, the, the saying, I know it's a cliche saying, but if you don't use it, uh, if you don't use it, you lose it. And it's very true uh, because, um, I, I did I, I did and have seen that a lot over the years uh, but I, I, I predominantly worked with a lot of people who do office jobs so yeah you, you do see it quite a lot and uh, and and yeah the person who couldn't squat down uh, who couldn't sit down or squat down you would say uh, the, and the person who couldn't squat down without falling to either side uh, yeah he, he had worked an office job for about 30 years so you can see that yeah you do want to it takes sit on top of yeah it does definitely take a toll always being in the same position for many hours over the course of years so you know this isn't to scare anyone but it, yeah definitely some sort of resistance training um even if it's just you know two or three times a week it's, it's going to help loads yeah yeah it's, it shouldn't be to scare anyone it should just be to be made aware of it and then do something about it because it's only going to help you either way but yeah really good message there leo this has been awesome man um is there anything else that you want to that you want to leave the people with here before we wrap it up? Uh yeah, no, this has been a really fun talk. It's, again, it was uh, something that we've uh, yeah, it's been a while that we've been trying to do this and yeah, I think overall just speaking about it with you uh, because again, these are experiences that I've had uh that I've obviously gone through a lot in my head and now, you know, again, just speaking about it, it's, it's so interesting how just the way a society has just been made or created it's so interesting how it will impact the entire pretty much the entire population and you know whether or not you know obviously the us does have an obesity problem and obviously you know you can see because of the way it's the cities have been created and and the the easy accessibility to a lot of maybe highly palatable foods how it impacts that with those two being obviously big reasons and then you know and then as well as uh, the other examples that we gave throughout this podcast i just think it's so interesting how uh, a lot of uh, just yeah different countries and and cultures how uh, they just uh, just yeah with the way that they've been designed how it's going to have such huge impacts and of course it would but yeah just speaking about it out loud is a uh, yeah it was just it's just very interesting to just remember that always yeah, I agree. It's it's just like one of those things you can't do anything about it, but it is important to be aware of because it's not like that anywhere else in the world. And if you've never lived anywhere else, you just think that whatever like your life experience is normal and that's what everyone else experiences, but like someone in different parts of the world obviously doesn't experience those things and like how might that change the way that they do. And like we've only talked about health, but like you can extrapolate this to to any other part of someone's life, how they deal with their finances, how their family relationships are, like the the entirety of society. And so like, you know, think think of how many things that we've talked about that only relate to people's like weight and and physical well-being. Like there's so much more that goes into it. But it's just all these things. You got to be aware of them and then do your best to like make the best of your situation or change your situation, which is a much harder thing to do. So, you know, but that's a that's a several hours long philosophical uh uh conversation that I don't think I don't think either of us are, are prepared for, but, but, you know, very powerful people will have those conversations and figure it out, but we'll just, we'll just talk about the gym for now. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, it, was a, it was a great chat. Thank you so much for bringing me on, Daniel. And you're an amazing podcast host. Uh, I've seen the work that you're doing with this from afar. And uh, yeah, you're doing really good stuff. And I, I have no doubt in my mind that it's only going to continue improving because, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing to have seen the growth from afar. And I, I know it's only going to continue happening. Thank you, man. I, I very much appreciate that. It, uh, it does mean a lot to me. I, I, do, I do work hard at this and uh, you know, always trying to get better one step at a time. So I appreciate the, the, the kind words and the support from people like you who are doing, doing it as well and doing great things. So thank you, man. Um, where can people find you? Where can people plug into everything that you've got going on? I will link it in the show notes, but rattle it off for us here. Okay. So you can find me at Leo Alves PT. Alves is spelled A-L-V-E-S, Leo Alves PT. Daniel will link it in the show notes. It's the same handle on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, although I probably use TikTok the least out of the three. I would say um, I've, I'm more active on Instagram, although recently I've been a lot more active on on maybe Twitter, maybe number one. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying Twitter a lot more nowadays. I don't know why it's just a, it's a different type of social media platform and it's a nice change, uh, but yeah, definitely follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Don't hesitate to, or, and, or Twitter. Don't hesitate to reach out. I'll be more than happy to speak to anyone and anyone, uh, anyone and everyone. And my DMS are always open and, um, and yeah, I'd love to, and I look forward to, to hearing from you. Yes, absolutely. Give Leo a follow Leo Alves PT everywhere. And your podcast is the Leo Alves podcast. That's the name of it. Correct. Yeah, coming up to uh, episode 100 as well. Wow, soon. that's a huge, big milestone. I haven't you have decided what You have something big planned for it? Or something exciting planned no, for it? It's just... If you've got any suggestions, I'd love to hear it. But, you know, I was just thinking of maybe even just treating it like any other episode. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I still have to think of something. I think it's just nice, like, just to do a little reflection and like a little self kind of pat on the back type of thing. But, uh, but yeah, because then it's just gone and then it's just on to the next one. Episode 101 was just like, normal it's gonna be a normal episode right but but congrats on that as well man i will link to all that stuff in the show notes please reach out to leo with any questions and stuff that you guys have um and that's it leo thanks for being here man i really appreciate you thank you everybody for listening make sure you share this podcast with a friend who needs to hear it and who would find some value or some entertainment in this um leave a rating and review on itunes spotify Amazon Music, wherever it is that you're listening to this, I appreciate all of them. Um, and that's it. Give me a follow as well on Instagram and all the places at Daniel Yoris. And that's all. Have a great day. Go outside. Be a good person. We'll chat soon. <laughs>